Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We're excited to have Dr. Dan Lugo, President of Queen's University of Charlotte, as our guest. Excellent. So I, I want to start with, with your journey. You know, you've had quite a journey, 20 plus years in higher education as a professional. And uh, who, who are the mentors that really have helped shape you and led you to the presidency at, at Queen's University at Charlotte? Wow, that's a, that's a good start. How much and, time do we have, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it, it's, a, it's a real, you know, we, none of us get to where we're at alone. And uh, mentorship, and I've been talking a lot about mentorship and sponsorship, right? Not only who provides you guidance, but who actually uh, represents you in the room when you're not there, right? And, and um, shines a favorable light on you. And I've got a, a you know, a, a story just uh, filled with folks from, from high school on up of teachers and coaches. Um, but I guess for time's sake, I'll talk about kind of higher ed professional, uh, and, and my, my career over the past, uh, decade plus. And, um, I had the great benefit of working with and for two great higher education leaders and presidents. Uh, and that would be in Dan Porterfield when I was at Franklin and Marshall College, uh, and David Green when I was up at Colby College, who, we're really doing groundbreaking work um, for undergraduate institutions to make an impact in their communities, um, to educate a far more diverse slice of the world and, and American, you know, uh, uh, demography. And I learned from them uh, how awesome and how high impact higher education can be. And um, how fruitful being a CEO of one of these institutions is. And as I've evolved into my kind of um, role here in Charlotte, um, I, I'm, I'm actually excited that I get more mentorship from the broader uh, corporate community. And there, there are folks in Charlotte, you know, like Gene Woods at Atrium Health and Malcolm Coley at EY and Keith Cockrell at Bank of America, um, who, who, and, and a long list, Marvin Ellison at Lowe's. These are just some of the best corporate leaders in America. And I have the good fortune in the city because of my role to get counsel from them, to lean on them. And so I don't know. I'm, I am a fact, I'm a product of, of, of good mentorship, um, and good sponsorship. So I, I have to ask, you know, when you were at, at Colby College, you know, you help orchestrate, launch, and execute a $750 million fundraising campaign. Mm -hmm. And in the first two years, you secured $415 million of philanthropic commitments. How, how do you go about being successful in fundraising efforts? How do you do that? Well, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, number one, I think there's a distinction between support and investment. And lots of not-for-profit institutions and higher ed institutions um, have favorable relationships with their alumni or constituents. And so they are able to count on uh, support when they ask for it. But when you want to do something transformative, right, you really need something more than support, right? Uh, support comes from the checkbook. And it is, you know, uh, what, what, what happens perhaps on December 31st when they got a long list of things to do. Investment comes from leaving a legacy, making an impact on society. 
And so I think there are two factors to raising really significant amounts of money. Um, one, you have to have ideas, right? You have to have uh, projects that are truly transformational, that truly would have a significant scale of impact on the institutions and communities that people want to benefit. Um, you, you need big ideas. And then number two, um, you, you need people with the capacity uh, uh, to, to, to make those investments. And uh, my experience in Colby had a perfect marriage, right, of those two, a, a moment of big thinking and big ideas and a community that had investors with the resources to make a transformative impact. Um, and we did a pretty fair job in a short period of time of connecting big ideas with people that wanted to see those things accomplished. So let me take you back to when you, uh, you know, first entered the ring, so to speak, and threw your hat in the mix to, uh, to be the president at Queens. Can you walk me through those emotions? You know, when you saw the opening and when you threw in your resume and then you, you know, you earned, earned the right to be the president. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, happy to uh, to reflect on that out loud. Um, I would say, you know, in my uh, two vice presidencies uh, at FNM and Colby, um, probably about a year into my FNM role, I realized that I um, was attracted, right, to the possibility of being um, a president of a of a higher ed institution. And so I I was kind of preparing myself, right, um, for the next seven years. Um, and it was exciting to be, uh, when, when you're starting to get calls about opportunities and people are nominating you for things and, and that's how that really happens. Um, you know, for, for folks that are listening that are like, Hey, I'd like to be a president. Well, you know, you have to have the sponsorship <laughs> and the mentorship. So people are nominating you, um, cause that, that's, that's what the industry pays attention to. Um, who's saying good things about you? Um, and Shelly Storbeck uh, um, conducted the search for for Queens, and she had been in touch with me a couple times and told me about this great opportunity with this wonderful university uh, in Charlotte with a world of potential. Um, and my 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 mentor at Colby and Shelly thought it was a good idea for me to pursue the opportunity and. Um, through that opportunity that was incredibly well orchestrated by the Queens community and the leadership of that uh, search, um, I learned uh, how there was an incredibly unique opportunity for this university and how my skill set was probably a good marriage for it. And, and that evolution was really exciting and empowering and um, and it made you nervous and scared in all the right ways, right? How do you know you're about to do something really big, right? It gives you, you know, both excitement and nervousness, right? There's a there's a healthy amount of strategic risk uh, in doing that. And so I experienced all of that, and it was a great experience for me and my my wife and my family to consider it and and uh, uh, and to make the decision, right, uh, to go chase this opportunity. And it was. It was a fantastic decision. So let's talk about let's talk about Queens and let's talk about integrating the strategic framework. Um, and, and maybe we can start, you know, and I know there's a number of, of great elements 
in that to really help um, really help create a, a, a differentiator, you know, as an institution. Um, but let's start talking about reciprocal connections. You know, I feel like with institutions, institutions and the local community really feed off each other and work hand in hand. Can you talk about the relationships that you've been able to forge and build in the local community and how important that is? Yeah, Brad, you've done your homework. So thanks for, for, for um, referencing our strategic framework, which is both uh, a, a document and a plan um, and a vision, right, for establishing Queens as the National Private University of Charlotte. Um, and we believe that one of the key opportunities that we have that's distinct uh, and uh, distinctly an advantage for us is our power to partner, right, with our surrounding uh, community organizations, as well as the employer community and professional and corporate community of Charlotte, which, as you know, Charlotte is um, a, a, one of the hottest cities uh, in America. So it's an incredible opportunity. Um, and I, I have to give credit, right, to my predecessors who positioned Queens through its outstanding history to be um, the key convening institution for this city. We are the place where competing banks come to work together um, and think about uh, uh, Queens and the benefit of, of our community. We're the place where competing healthcare organizations and you can go down the list. Um, and, and so I inherited um, unique positioning like that. So in everything that we're doing, we live through that advantage. And one example of that is our Charlotte Talent Initiative. When I came here, um, there was an amazing amount of attention um, that was being paid um, to the underperformance of our community and city in getting uh, community members and children who were uh, from families in the, the lowest quintile of the socioeconomic spectrum and getting them to the upper quintiles. Really that economic and social mobility um, hasn't been going well in Charlotte. And we thought about what we could do and we created a kind of three-win system um, that is about enrollment, retention and launching, um, which creates a cohort-based program with uh, local companies. And our first two companies are Lowe's and Ally Financial. Um, where we recruit a cohort of students, we educate them here at Queens, and simultaneously they're getting mentorship from those corporate entities. Um, they're getting um, additional curriculum opportunities to learn about data analytics and retail management and other things. And they're getting internships and opportunities to work during the calendar year as well as the summer. And at the end of the rainbow, right, they are being given opportunities to launch right into career managerial positions that um, pay incredibly well, right? So an elevator of economic mobility in four years. Um, the community gets to improve its experience with economic mobility. The companies get to live their values and get first rate diverse talent. And Queens through its partnership gets support for the scholarships that those students get um, and really enhances our ability to ensure that we retain the best students that you can imagine um, and launch them to, to great career outcomes. So it's been a win for us and a scalable model that we're now talking to several other entities um, about things like that that we can do. But no matter, no matter um, 
what the area of the um, you know strategic framework, I'll just pick on health and wellness, which is an area of excellence and focus that we wanted to be. We, we did an incredibly exhaustive RFP process and at the end of the day selected Atrium Health as a comprehensive partner for us to pursue um, a greater, greater uh, command of, of community wellness where they provide all of our uh, physical well-being, um, our counseling and behavioral health well-being, and they provide sports medicine and training uh, a leadership uh, for our very, very significant athletic program. So uh, that's our that's a little bit of our special sauce is our ability to partner with world-class institutions that are here uh, in, in our city of Charlotte. Well, and, and Plexus offers rankings for institutions across the country and programs. And you, you have several programs in the top 10 in the state, including nursing, interior design, you know, health professions. And, you know, what I would ask you around those is how do you make sure that you can recruit and retain top faculty? Mm. That's a great question. Um, and it's the lifeblood of what we do, right? We are only as good as the students that we can recruit and the faculty that can educate them. Um, and I think it's a multifold uh, 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 process as well as strategy. Um, and it starts with looking far and wide for the best talent. Um, our faculty searches um, are national searches for those that are on uh, tenure tracks. Um, and we're fortunate to be in the city of Charlotte that is a destination that a lot of people um, would love to work and live in and, and, and do their best work. Um, we are, you know, uh, I, I think a model of education that faculty see as exactly the right blend of, you know, an integrated uh, approach towards education where they have the opportunity to teach in an intimate environment and get to know their students um, and impact their learning on a really direct way. They have a, an environment that's supportive of their scholarship. Um, and they they embrace um, the uh, philosophy of uh, integrating uh, what they teach and explaining why it's relevant to the professional world. They believe in that integrated approach, approach where it, it is about um, learning uh, for the good of the community and citizenry, but also to apply in the professional world. Um, and I, I'm really excited about the way we support our faculty um, through things like the Center for the Advancement of Faculty Excellence, which we shorthand call our CAFE program. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a national class leader in that uh, uh, work and uh, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Gannon, who, who is really trying to put us on the cutting edge of how we support pedagogy, how we get our faculty to be um, the best teachers in the classroom and how they live a balanced life between uh, pushing, you know, the intellectual, uh, uh, you know, boundaries of, of their scholarship while animating uh, an incredible learning experience uh, for our students. So, you know, and then, and then it gets down to we have to be competitive, right? We have to be paying close attention to the data and how we're supporting our faculty through compensation and benefits. Um, and, and that's that's really, you know, my job um, is, is to uh, think about the resources of our institution, right? How, how, how do we ensure that we have the resources to get the best 
faculty talent, the best staff talent, the best students on our campus, and to bring in the financial resources that makes this whole entire ecosystem really hum. Well, and I know I know Queens really has a brand that goes well beyond the state. Uh-huh. You know, there's a large number of, of private institutions that we talk to that recruit a majority of their students within, you know, two to three hours drive of their campus. And I noticed that with Queens, you're about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're about 50-50 in-state and out-of-state. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're, we're actually a little more dominant with out-of-state, but so we're, we're in, the, in the 40s of North Carolinians and very, very proud of that group. Um, but the, um, the, the regional diversity that we have, the national diversity that we have, and, and I would really highlight our international diversity, right, with having um, between 10 to 11% of our students being international mm-hmm. students from an incredibly broad array of countries um, makes this intimate learning environment and our classrooms and our campus um, so, uh, I, I don't know, fascinating and rewarding for our students and for all of our community members to learn from each other, right? I mean, we've got incredible representation from, you know, most of the continents. I, I'm, I'm really surprised um, at, the, at that listing when I look at that. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll um, you know, really give credit to where it's due. It is be- because of our, our you know, uh, incredible um, athletic community that um, has coaches and, um, and, and, and a program that have such great international reputations that we get students from, you know, all over South America, Africa, you know, Asia. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got New Zealanders here and um, just the most diverse set of students. Um, that, that is a real joy um, to see um, that diversity in our student body. So uh, when you talk about diversity, you know, we've talked to a number of presidents and institutions that talk about, you know, um, you know, without belonging and without inclusion, diversity doesn't mean much. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's really powerful, Brad. And thanks, thanks for highlighting that. And um, as a community and a society, I think we we need to move to that next level of understanding of, of what successful diversity is. Um, you know, representational diversity is fantastic. And um, um, I'm proud of Queens's representational diversity. I'm proud, right, that uh, a third of our students are, are Pell eligible and a third of our undergraduate students are domestic students of color. I'm proud that 10 to 11 percent of their international. But right? How are we doing with what you talked about, inclusion and belonging, right? How, how are we ensuring that all of our students have access, right, to the full experience of, of Queens? Are we attentive enough to the inequitable, right, um, starting points of our students financially as they come in and then their choices of what they want to do in their curricular choices of whether or not they'll take a transformative experience to study abroad. How are we ensuring that there's equitable access to everything that we provide that is so rich um, and that it isn't just a carved out few, right, who are privileged that have access to those things. And then inclusion, do our students feel like they belong on that on this campus, right? And I think that's, that is 
in a hyper-competitive higher education landscape, right, that is the key battlefront of determining which direction you're going to be going, right? How are you uh, making our, uh, your communities uh, accessible and inclusive uh, in ways that empower students um, to do their best work, but also take ownership, right, of the whole entire place. That, that Queens and other institutions like Queens cannot be just transactional, right, uh, settings. Uh, people no longer need uh, higher ed just to get credentials and just to get uh, a transactional education, right? There are cheaper ways to do that. Um, the reason why Queens is so fantastic is because of the full experience. It's because of the way our students belong here and own the experience and speak out and feel that they're recognized and that their voices are heard and how they learn from each other in that dynamic, you know, environment like that. So thank you for, you know, uh, uh, highlighting um, the, the, the push and need for us to get beyond representational diversity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you hear the word student success a lot. And I think it's defined differently depending on who you ask. So how would you define what is student success to you? Yeah, I, and we think about that all the time. And I think there are core principles, but it also evolves, right? Um, you know, I, I would say uh, at a philosophical and core level, we are um, committed um, to, to defining success as putting our students on a predictable path towards a meaningful and high impact life. Right. How are we supporting them and launching them on a journey um, to that next step in their journey? Um, and, you know, we do that, I think, in a really compelling way. We provide our students with uh, evergreen skill sets and education um, through our commitment to a multidisciplinary approach towards learning. Right. So that in a complex 21st century, um, they will be uh, lifelong professional learners. They will know how to get to the second, third and fifth job that we know that this generation is going to get to with with great confidence because they because of the way they were trained to learn. They are empowered to know that they can learn anything and do anything because of their ability to solve complex problems but also our commitment to really um, uh, career development simultaneous while they're getting that multidisciplinary approach to education. So day one, they're focused on how they translate their education to the world of work in a really tangible way and how they get their eyes uh, on that next experience for them, right? Requiring them to have multiple internships, to learn what they love and what they don't want to do in the future. So that next choice makes great sense for them and empowers them on their journey. And then I would say we have a commitment, right, to instilling um, uh, a, a commitment to service, right? It, it's it's, it's our, our mission and our motto for our students uh, to be, you know, to have an attitude and a, and a, a proclivity uh, that's embodied in our, our motto of not to be served, but to serve, right? That's at our core for over a hundred years that we generate uh, citizens that make a positive impact 
on their communities and their and the world more broadly. And we take that part equally seriously, right? Um, Queens folks are, 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 are great to have at your companies, in your neighborhoods, um, and we will continue to uh, focus on, on all of those lanes of success. If we could, let's talk a little bit about the history of, of Queens. Um, sure. You know, I, I look at private institutions and I look at how resilient a lot of private institutions, many institutions are. You know, and you, you hear about challenges that face, you know, smaller institutions and the enrollment cliff. But, but, you know, my response to that, especially you look at a Queens University, you started in 1857. And so you've been through many challenges, many, many, uh, you know, uh, times where you needed to be resilient in addition to enrollment cliffs. So can you talk a little bit about the history and the resilience of the institution? Yeah, I, I would say um, th thanks again for, for your, your, your homework. Um, Queens has a really storied and wonderful history. I mean, think back to 1857, Charlotte, North Carolina, right? This is pre-Civil War. Um, and a group of leaders came together and said, we are going to create an undergraduate institution dedicated to the education of women. In 2022, we might take that for granted. In 1857, that was profoundly radical profoundly radical and visionary. Um, Queens is older than all but one of the seven sisters, you know, institutions of the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Mm. So Charlotte, North Carolina, 1857. The vision of that, the importance of that um, just cannot be forgotten. And I think that is embedded in our DNA um, to think about what's next um, to be agile, to be resilient. And as you highlight, you know, we, we've gone through wars, we've gone through uh, pandemics, uh, right? This, we're, we, we were around for uh, uh, the, the, the flu pandemic of the, of the early 1900s. Um, we've gone through recessions, we've gone through depressions, um, we've gone through relocation, right? So we were founded as a single, you know, sex uh, institution uh, in the center of our city of um, Charlotte. Um, and at the turn of the 20th century, uh, the city leaders wanted to create a, you know, bucolic, beautiful neighborhood. And we left our stately campus right at the axis of uh, the city and moved down uh, what now is, you know, uh, a walking distance, but then seemed way out in the farmland um, to anchor this, this community of Myers Park. That was an agile move. Um, as we've evolved uh, in our, our history, we, we became a co-educational institution in the 1980s, right? Uh, further diversifying ourselves. And towards the turn of the 21st century, we further, you know, diversified ourselves in becoming a comprehensive university, now giving greater than 10, you know, master's level uh, degree programs and adding four uh, professional schools. So it is in our DNA to evolve and change um, which is which is interesting, right? Because I I will hear from Charlatans on occasion um, of of this this push that we're making now for excellence and growth. As you know, this this is another radical moment, and and I tell people I'm standing on the shoulders right of giants who have always made Queens right on the cutting edge of what higher ed needs and what Charlotte needs. 
I've come from institutions, right, that were founded also back in the 1800s, and they were co-educational liberal arts colleges. And, you know, nearly 200 years later, they are co-educational liberal arts colleges. They've made very little change, right? Maybe their curriculum has evolved, but they look pretty much the same. Queens, on the other hand, has been incredibly resilient, incredibly agile, and has been at the forefront um, of change in higher education. And hence, um, we, we just continue in that, 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 that wonderful uh, history and evolution. So when you, when you look at student persistence, uh, graduation, um, how does Queens make sure that students do persist, especially students that are first generation? Yeah, um, that's a topic that's near and dear to me as um, I'm a first generation college graduate um, and professional graduate and professional. Uh, so it's a journey that, that I'm familiar with, and it's a journey that, that higher ed has gotten better and better with, right? To understand, um, that folks who come from households, right, with, that don't have, uh, uh, bachelor's undergraduate experience have a, have a different set of support, right? There's nothing, wrong, but where, you know, students who have parents that went to undergraduate education, they can pick up the phone. And, you know, on, on that, that, that first C minus or D plus that they get, right. It's, uh, they can pick up the phone and say, Hey mom, um, you know, I just got a D plus and mom could say, well, you know what, when I got my first one, I went and I talked to the professor and, you know, I started doing better and it all works out. Well, that's that's not something that 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 first generation students can do. So the commitment to that work, uh, I think, is really important and sincere as we think about uh, the future of our nation. Right. Um, as we think of uh, economic mobility and income inequality and we think of the workforce of our future and the skill sets that they're going to need. Um, the growth right, of students in America are going to be coming from first generation backgrounds. Right. So no matter how you come to it, if it's personal like me or if, you, if it's societal or from a business mindset, we have to get great at that work. So we, uh, one, we're proud of, of that segment of our community. And so um, we uh, celebrate right that and we convene around uh, the first gen experience so they know that they're not alone. Right. And that there's absolutely everything positive to be excited about with that. Um, and fortunately, what Queens has learned over the years that the support that you need from uh, from mentors and from uh, uh, academic advisors that first generation students um, need, as you start to learn about best practices and retention, um, scaling those efforts help everyone. Right? Um, it is you know, not just the first generation students that, that, that feel lost at different times of the cycle and, and hence the interventions that we've created for them to support their journey, um, you know, are applicable broadly um, to the entire uh, student community. Um, we, we have really fantastic leaders in student life, fantastic leaders uh, in our financial aid uh, uh, department, um, and first generation faculty, right, that are, you know, rolling up their sleeves and giving up their time uh, to mentor students 
through this process and celebrate um, their 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 access to higher education and the ways they can transform their family's experience and their community's experience by sticking with it, by owning the experience, and by graduating. You know, something that something else that I find fascinating about Queens, and especially during your tenure, um, you know, Queens, you, you highlight the fact that that you've seen an increase, not just an increase in enrollment, but a but a significant increase in net tuition revenue. Mm. Can can you talk about you know the importance of not just growing the number of students, but making sure that you're growing from a net tuition standpoint. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 we, we are, we're not non for profit, and um, but we're a business, <laughs> and uh, you know, my my first board chair at Queens, you know, was was uh, uh, famous for reminding us that you know, no margin, no mission. Uh, and I, my commitment to our students and this community, uh, is to create the business model, right. That allows us to be agile and it allows us to invest in ourselves. Um, so we're continuously, you know, iterating on what are the indicators? What, what, what does success look like? And we think that, uh, net per student, you know, tuition revenue is an important indicator um, for us and our our, our business model. Um, and at a, at a place that has an incredibly high dedication, right, to doing the work of educating Pell Grant eligible and low socioeconomic background eligible students, right, that puts an incredible pressure on our financial, um, you know, system and our financial aid program. Um, so we're we're working on both levers, right? We're enhancing the value of our experience um, so that uh, students from families with the means to pay for a premium education understand that we are premium from our competitors, right? That they can get a world-class education, that they can get access to the best suite of internship opportunities, that through our partnership with Atrium, they can be the well, most well and uh, supported and healthy uh, and vibrant uh, uh, learners um, when they're having their undergraduate experience. So we have to promote that side of it, invest in that side of it. Um, and then we have to do incredible work in philanthropy to ensure that we're supporting our students with the scholarships that they need. And at the end of the day, yeah, um, net, net, net tuition revenue matters um, because that's that's what allows us to uh, compensate the incredible individuals in our community that that teach, that support, um, and that you know uh, provide the student experience and learners' experience that is so special about Queens. So, are there any elements of uh, of, of of law that you miss? <laughs> well, you know, law, law, uh, direct practice of law was a long time ago. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a proud JD. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not hiding the fact that that I went to law school and uh, go University of Minnesota, uh, and, um, and I'm not hiding the fact that I, I practiced law for for nine years and. And those experiences, I think, make me a better higher education leader, right? Um, my inclination to use the skill sets 
uh, from my law education and law practice to uh, understand the complexity of risk, to understand what it is to navigate a litigious you know, landscape and society um, and to um, write, think about um, the, the the multiple dynamics um, that that is a complicated uh, institution like a university. I use those skill sets, you know, um, every single day. So, um, but I don't miss anything, you know, uh, directly about the practice of law. That is, that is, you know, what. Whatever I do when I grow up, it will not be going back to being an attorney. <laughs> so where where will Queen's University of Charlotte be in five years, in 10 years? Yeah, you know, and I think I started off this conversation that um, our strategic framework, right, is a, um, a plan and a vision um, for us uh, to lead um, in the city of Charlotte um, on its journey to being a world-class uh, community and city and urban center um, and to be a leader in the national higher education landscape. And um, in order to do that, we need to grow just like the city is growing. Um, we'll still be you know, known for what we've always been good at, powerfully launching our students on their journey right, to a meaningful, high-impact life. But I think we'll be an even bigger, more visible, and more important institution in the city of Charlotte and national higher education. That's, that's, that's our moment, right? That's our opportunity, and we have to, to seize it. Uh, in, in, in five years, we'll have a significantly larger community of learners, and in 10 years, we'll have a more, even more significantly larger community um, of learners. Um, and that's at all levels of learning, the undergraduate, the graduate, and the certification and professional skill development and upskilling, right, of our, our, our community. Um, and, you know, I, I will be looking at uh, market feedback uh, that um, will be increasingly embraced as, you know, capital T-H-E, uh, convening place for innovation and entrepreneurship uh, in the city of Charlotte. Um, and then finally, um, we'll be embraced um, not only internally, but when you travel to New York and San Francisco and Chicago and Atlanta as the national private comprehensive university of Charlotte. Um, th that's, that's what we're building towards. And I think that's um, what our best version of ourselves as a comprehensive university uh, should be. Um, and that's an inspirational, you know, goal for us um, that wakes us up every day, uh, taking on the challenges of a, a, a complex higher ed landscape and feeling that the fact that we not only have that vision, but it's not a pipe dream, right? I mean, it, it's a real opportunity. It is there for us to do it. It, it, it is dependent on our ability to execute, you know, on our plan and to provide um, the leadership uh, to get there. But it is very, very eminently uh, not only possible, but probable that five to 10 years, we will be, you know, uh, uh, closer um, to that destination. Well, excellent. Well, President Dan Lugo, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for a, a great conversation. Well, Brad, thank you for, for having me on your podcast and um, and for all that you do to feature higher education. And, and thanks for uh, clearly doing some homework on Queens. It was really a fun conversation. Absolutely. Happy to do it.
Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.